0: All right, well, I can't believe it, but we are wrapping up our faith series this morning. I feel like that went fast. Um, the year's gone fast. It's like June this week. It's crazy. Crazy. So this is part 11 of our series on faith. Next Sunday, we're launching a new series. I'm just calling it Sabbath. And we're going to spend the month of June, about four or five weeks, looking at uh, this issue of rest. How do we find rest? Jesus intended for us to have it and experience it on every level. He meant for us to have that that spiritually, to feel secure in who he is and what he's done. He meant for us to experience that mentally, emotionally, to find peace and rest in him. Listen, he meant it practically. Like, there's a reason he told us, I'm going to make it a law that you will slow down and stop once a week because he knew we'd be too stubborn to do that. So he's like, I'm gonna institute this so you will slow down and chill out and find rest. And so my hope is that we're gonna be encouraged by that, maybe reminded of some stuff. So we're starting that next week. So this morning, as we wrap up our faith series, we're talking about faith over fear. Um, Now, I realize on some level, you know, we could spend a month or more really diving into the scripture and addressing all of the things that God's word has to say about this issue of fear. Um, and I, I do want to acknowledge a few things this morning that we'll talk about as we go along, where we just acknowledge that fear is real. It's real. It's a real thing that we face and deal with. If you don't, man, that's awesome for you. <laughs> but it's a, it's a real thing. And, and part of what makes fear so real is that we have eyeballs. We, we look around and see very good reasons at times to be afraid. And so um, we will acknowledge that and talk about it along the way. My, my hope is that as, as we open this up and see God's heart in the matter, that it's, it's not so much that we would become people that figure out how to stop being afraid. I think sometimes if we focus so much on what we're trying to stop doing, it almost perpetuates that cycle And so instead, I think God's inviting us to see something else, to have our eyes open to something else. And so that's going to kind of be our focus this morning. So, you know, I was I was thinking about fear, um, you know, and realizing like our kids were going to be with us this morning. It just started reminding me of some things I was afraid of when I was a kid. Um, So probably the first most obvious thing is being afraid of the dark. All right, maybe some of you still struggle with that. Like I was afraid of the dark. And all the other things my mind could think up and imagine in the dark that I couldn't see. And so I have clear memories that I've joked about this story before, I'm sure even recently, where I was, I was terrified one night as a kid. This memory's like burned in my head. I thought there was somebody standing in the corner of my room. There was like a figure there. And I just was horrified. And I remember just kind of pulling the blanket up over my head and just being in fear all night till I fell asleep, which was probably like three minutes, but it felt like all night. Um, and waking up in the morning and realizing like the door to my closet was slightly cracked and there was like a hoodie hanging over the door. But it it was so real in my mind, I remember that as a kid. Um, I remember being terrified of the neighbor's dog. Anybody remember that? There was this dog, I don't even think I ever saw the dog, but there was this dog, he wasn't on our street, but we lived on a cul de sac and when you go to the end of the cul de sac and turn right, you could follow the sidewalk and it was like the way to go to get to the park or to the pool. And on the right-hand side, I mean, I can see it with my mind's eye, there was this part of the fence where there was just this huge dog that would just bark, and he'd leap, and he'd jump. And I mean, it was like, I knew it was coming, and I was still bracing myself. And every time that first bark, I would just leap out of my skin. Um, If I was riding my bike, I can remember, like, building up speed to just try to get past because I was convinced he's coming through that fence. It was just so real to me. Um, I had an irrational fear about swimming pools. So our neighborhood swimming pool is like in an L shape. And so it started shallower and went this way. And then the L over here was like the 10 foot deep area where there were diving boards and stuff. In my mind, there were sharks in that deep end. And I was scared of them. Like the minute it was over my head, it's like there could be sharks lurking below somewhere. I hadn't even seen Jaws yet at that age, but like I just had this fear of sharks Um, as I got older, you know, it turned into girls that I was fearful of (laughs) Yeah. Different kind of shark. Wow. I'm just quoting someone else in the room. If you're listening to this online, that was not me. Um, funny enough, I, I was horrified of public speaking. Like I could not stand like speech class, like getting up and having to do that. It almost feels like kind of this little irony with the Lord, like it's his little joke with me now that I stand up and speak in front of people because it really is not something I ever thought I would see myself doing. Um, so, you know, those are just some things to kind of loosen things up. We've all got these things that, that we're afraid of. In fact, public speaking, this is, this is kind of wild. The top two things that people are afraid of are death and public speaking. Death is number two. That means people are more afraid of giving the eulogy than being in the coffin. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. So we have these fears that we've developed, and some of them are based in reality, and some of them are a skewed perspective on reality. Some of them are very self-focused, like I'm worried how I'm going to be perceived, how I'm going to come across, or people going to accept me? Um, and so, so fear is a very real thing. So I wanna start this morning by looking at one of my absolute favorite stories. You know, there's some of these random, obscure stories in the Old Testament, but they have so much life in them. And so there's this really cool story found in 2 Kings chapter six. Um, I always laugh, there's this, there's this preacher um, I've listened to for years. Oh, sweetie. There's this preacher I've listened to for years, Dr. Mark Rutland, and for whatever reason, it just always makes me laugh. He always says, instead of saying like 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, he always says 2 Kings. Let's turn to 2 Kings. So, I don't know, that was in my head this morning, so I said it. Um, So, 2 Kings chapter 6, this story is found in verses 8 through 23. So, to give you just a little bit of a taste of this, and then we're going to jump in. um, There's this king of Syria, kind of a neighboring country, that was just sort of picking on Israel. It was like, he was just like, man, I, he, he's trying to attack them. I'm sure he's just wanting to gather resources from them. And so he has it in his heart to go to war with Israel. And so he keeps devising these plans. Okay, we kind of know where their army is, and so we're going to sneak attack them, and we're going to come over here and get them. And then each time, he'd get there, and they weren't there anymore. And it was like he kept, he kept um, all of his kind of private planning somehow Israel was finding out about it. And so little did he know the man of God, Elisha, was being told not by a spy, but by God himself what was going on. And so he'd give a warning to Israel's king. So the king of Syria starts to get frustrated with this. He's like, what is going on? How do they constantly know to avoid where we're coming? This doesn't make any sense. So picking up the story, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 11 And so the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, I'm here to sniff out the spy. You're the people that have been with me in these meetings where we talk about what we're going to do. It's coming from this room. Which one of you is the spy? That's what he thinks is going on. And so you know, like, they're nervous, right? They're scared. And so one of the servants works up the courage in verse 12 to say, None, my lord, O king. Whatever else I can say, your worshipfulness. (laughs) None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Whoa. So they're like, hey, we're not the spies here. There's this prophet in Israel, and man, he's got your number. Your, Your bedroom is bugged. He knows what's going on. And so the king gets frustrated. He's like, well, where is this Elisha? Where can we find him? And so they say, okay, we've tracked him down. He's in the town of Dothan. And so the king of Syria sends an army, and they seize the city in order to capture Elisha. So he's like, we're going to get this guy. All right, so now here's Elisha on the scene. His city is surrounded. He's sieged. And now in verse 15 it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So the servant wakes up and he goes, we're in huge trouble. We're surrounded. The city has been sieged by this army. What are we going to do? He's afraid. And for good reason. There's a very real army there. And Elisha looks at him in verse 16, it says, he says to him, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Whoa. He gets this fresh perspective on the scene. Listen, I just have to tell you this is how fear works. Fear is based in reality. We see a real threat, we see a real problem that's either present or crouching, waiting. Feels like it's nearby. We see that. Fear is based in reality. But fear is also based in our perception of reality. We trust what we see. We trust what we think about what we see. But there are all kinds of things happening behind the scenes that our Father in heaven who loves us, that he sees and that he knows, and that he's fighting on our behalf. And we don't see that stuff. And so the solution here wasn't stop being afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. Have you ever been told there's no reason to be afraid? I think I've even slipped up and said that to my kids. That's not really true. There's reason to be afraid, but you don't have to stay afraid because there's more to the story. And so the solution that Elisha offers is not to close their eyes and pretend that they're not under siege. See, many of us, the way that we've been taught or the way we've watched others around us deal with fear or maybe just on our own we've tried to do it, we try to deny reality. We actually think that the way we can deal with our fears is to pretend like the problem isn't there. Let me put my head in the sand. Let me ignore the issue. That does not solve fear. It doesn't. In fact, it actually can make that fear become more real because we're not willing to face and deal with a real problem, a real threat. The way to deal with fear is to acknowledge the presence of the thing we're afraid of and then ask God to open our eyes to see what he's really up to asking him to change our perspective, help us to see what we can't see. Fear cripples us from seeing the whole picture. That's the core issue. Now, what I love about this is the story doesn't stop there and it doesn't end the way you would maybe think. You know, there's other times where God's army shows up and immediately it's like the enemy gets wiped out you know, by the angel of the Lord or something. Check this out, watch what happens. Verse 18 now. So the servant, his eyes are open, he sees, and now Elisha continues to pray. And so verse 18, when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. Don't hurt them. Don't kill them. Don't wipe out our enemy. Just make them blind. Confuse them. So the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Verse 19, and Elisha said to them, Who's he talking to? the Syrian army. He's now talking to the very enemy that's there to get him, but they don't realize it because they're blinded. And he says to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. These are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) little Star Wars reference for you there. Um, Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. I mean, this is like the original Jedi mind trick right here. And so he led them to Samaria. I mean, do you see the humor in this? Like, he's not just trying to get away. He's like, hey, guys, come on with me. Let's go. The guy you're looking for is over here. And he leads them to a whole other city. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, "'Oh, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see.' So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria.'" Now, what we don't realize is that means they were now in the midst of the Israel army. The king of Israel is there, and his army is now surrounding them. The very enemy who thought, I've got the man of God cornered, himself ends up being cornered. The tables are turned. And I love what happens here. Verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Can we get these guys? Shall I strike them down? And Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and bow? He's like, look, you've already got them captive. You're just going to kill them now. Is that the right thing to do? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know? That Syrian king is like, man, what in the world is happening over there? Like, they know when we're coming, they know where we're going. I've got them besieged, now we're besieged. Now they're just having a feast with us? What is happening? This is the very heart of God. Some of the biggest things that we're terrified of are not just things God wants to rescue us out of. He wants to turn the tables and see us share his love and his life maybe with some of the very people Or circumstances that we're terrified of. The very things we're afraid of are things God wants to use to show off his glory, his power, and communicate his love. Enemies can actually become our friends when we aren't governed by fear when instead we go, God, give me your heavenly perspective on this issue. Some of us are avoiding conversations that need to happen. We might even be avoiding our spouse right now. There's some hard thing that we need to talk about, and we're fearful of that conversation, that thing. And yet, we don't even realize that we're actually letting a wedge come in and grow. And our fear is keeping us from having a healthy, needed conversation that can actually bring us closer than ever. But we're afraid. Or maybe that's a, a friend or a family member. I, I don't know. The things that we're afraid of are various. And they can be complicated and they can seem overwhelming. But our God is powerful and he's huge. And he's with us. And he's for us. And so at the simplest level, if you hear nothing else this morning... You can simply say, God, would you change my perspective? I want to be like Elisha's servant. Would you help me to see what I can't see? Give me healthy perspective. So I want to give us three practical ways that we can look to God and conquer our fear. I want to give you just something you can kind of chew on, some action steps, all right? Three ways that we can look to God and conquer our fear. So, to kind of set the stage for this, um, Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 12. I would encourage you to read the whole passage later. It might even be familiar to you. Um, verses 22 through 34, it's this whole passage, just a similar one in Matthew's gospel in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is addressing fear, worry, anxiety. All right, you remember the passage? He's talking about don't worry about tomorrow, it has enough problems for itself. That whole passage. And so in the midst of Jesus addressing this anxiety, worry, and fear, he actually gives us some insight into the core way that we can deal with this. And so he says in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, verse 31, instead, instead, instead of fear, instead of anxiety, instead of worry, instead of mulling all that stuff over in your head. We got any Any fellow control freaks in the room with me this morning? My hand is up. Yeah, right? Where you just think through all the angles, all the stuff. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things you're worried about, they'll be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's a couple key things in there that he says. First of all, he calls us little flock. How powerful is a little flock of sheep? (laughs) Is that an intimidating, powerful force? No. He's saying, hey, just have some healthy perspective. It's all right. Have some humility. You don't have to have this figured out. You can just be my sheep. There's good news in just being willing to admit that. I I actually used to be really bothered by the passages in the Scripture that called us sheep. Like, it bothered me, and I started to realize, oh, that's because I'm prideful. That's why that bothers me. Like, it felt insulting. But it's also an invitation to know that we can trust a really good shepherd who loves us. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, little flock, guess what? The Father loves you. It's his good pleasure to give you his kingdom. So what's he saying? He's saying, let him lead you. He wants to give you his kingdom, but guess how you get the kingdom? You let him be king. The way I get the kingdom and all the good that comes with the kingdom is I let him be king. See, Tim Keller gets right to the heart of the issue when he says, people, most people, he says, want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. Let let that sink in. Most people want Jesus to be a consultant rather than a king. See, we've got our plans, We've got our worries, we've got our concerns, we've got the things that we want, we've got the things that we don't want that we're trying to fix, we've got all that stuff, and we're trying to invite God into that and say, help me figure this out. I'm inviting him into my plans and trying to get him to help give me just the right advice I need to navigate this. See, some of the reason we're afraid is there's things where God's actually sitting back and going, I I don't want anything to do with that. That's not what I have for you. You're fearful and anxious because that's not even the thing. Instead of trying to get him to be a consultant, what if we said, God, you're it. You're the king. You're in charge. And if we would let him be king, we could see our fear conquered. So there's three things we can do. Here's the first one. The first thing we can do to help see our fear conquered is to fear the king. Such a weird thing. Throughout scripture, um, over and over and over again, there's some form of fear not that gets declared. Angels show up, Jesus appears, or even just like maybe leaders that are there. Joshua says it, Moses says it. People show up and say, fear not, or do not be afraid, some version of that. Depending on how you count, it happens around 80-ish times in the Scripture. Um, Some scholars have said it's as much as like 300-something times. But digging in myself, I feel like there's solidly 80-ish times. There's also around 80-ish times that we're told to fear God or to have fear of the Lord. So he says, fear not, and then he says, fear me. What's that about? Well, I want to give you a little taste of this. There's, there's a lot of scriptures here. It would be worth your time in some sort of Bible app. I use eSword. It's simple. It's easy. There's an app on your phone. There's a website, eSword. Um, you can use Blue Letter Bible, Some of you guys might be familiar with that. You can just do a word search on fear not or be not afraid. Or you could do a word search on fear, fear of the Lord or fear God. Here's a taste of this. What does fear of the Lord bring? Is he telling us to be in horror no, but he is telling us to be in awe. Like if there's, something, if there's something we should be afraid of, it's something that's really powerful, especially if that really powerful thing is not on my side. <laughs> that would be worth having a little healthy fear about. Be in awe of him. What does fear of the Lord produce? Well, first of all, in Proverbs 9.10, we get a little taste of this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord brings wisdom and insight. That's what Elisha's servant got. He got the full perspective, he got insight into what was really going on. He got wisdom. Elisha got wisdom in how to handle the situation. When, when God is the thing that I'm in awe of, when God is the thing that's the big, huge, scary thing, and I'm in awe of him, and I worship him, and I say, you be king, then I learn as I'm kind of coming under his rule and his reign in my life, it begins to change my perspective, and I start to see things more clearly. I get wisdom into what's really going on. I get insight into what's really happening. What should I do? And so fear of God, is, it brings wisdom and insight. Secondly, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. This actually comes up over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. It's Moses' final words to God's people as they're moving from not only slavery in Egypt, but they're moving from wandering around aimlessly, struggling in the wilderness, to taking new territory. What was the primary thing they were going to need going into the promised land? courage. That's why they didn't go in 40 years before. They were afraid. They took courage. And so over and over again in Deuteronomy, there's this this challenge to be courageous, and there's this call not to be afraid. But what Moses also says over and over again is fear God. And so Deuteronomy 6, 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. So he's the king. He gave us some things to follow. He's the king were the sheep. So he commanded us to do these statutes to fear the Lord, our God. I'm not fearing the Lord, the God. I'm fearing my Lord, my God. It's personal. To fear the Lord, our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. He says, the fear of the Lord is good for you. It's good for you. It doesn't just bring wisdom and insight. Man, it's healthy. It's healthy. It's good for you. It brings strength. And then finally, Psalm 118, verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. If you want to be in awe of God, let the reality of his never-ending, never-ceasing, never-changing love overwhelm you. See, being in awe of God means I'm in awe of him for who he is. For who he says he is. And he says he's faithful. He's loving. He's good. He fights on our behalf. He's always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's righteous and just. And he's merciful every day. When I'm in awe of that God and that reality becomes my reality, I'm in awe, I'm overwhelmed by his love. When I'm in awe of that God, it's good for my very soul. When I'm in awe of that God, I get wisdom and insight that I need to navigate life well. This is what John is talking about. The the writer of 1 John, this is John the apostle who knew himself as the one whom Jesus loved he knew this and was in awe of it and so he writes in 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love as we continue on our journey and deal with the reality of fear it's a reminder that god is still working out his love into our hearts and lives it's still taking root. It's still growing. I'm being perfected in his love. So, fear the king. Got it? Not terrified, awe, wonder. Fear the king. Okay, number two, don't just fear the king, surrender to the king. Classic story, familiar to most of us, but Jesus has been teaching to the crowds. This is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Some of this story is unpacked in other places in the Gospels as well. Um, So Jesus has been teaching to the crowds, and he now does what he so often does, and he goes off to a secluded place to pray, and he sends his disciples to cross the sea. Go across the sea to the other side. I'll meet up with you. They're like, okay, I don't know how you're going to do that, but sure. So they go, and it's nighttime now. And so they're, they're fighting. It's a rough night on the sea. The wind is blowing like crazy. The waves are just battering them. They're struggling all night long. Trying to get across this sea, and Jesus has been praying. And so, in the middle of the night, we're going to pick the story up Matthew 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. I love this. Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. God, if this is you, I'm yours. I surrender to you. I'll do whatever you ask. Tell me to come out there and I'm there. And so he said, all right, come. That's the simplicity of surrender. Just Jesus, if that's you, if you're with me, I'm in. What do you want me to do? You know what his answer is? Come be with me. That's how we surrender. Come be with him. Spend time with him. I'm grateful for Henry Blackaby and his just classic experiencing God. He talks about just the simplicity of finding where God is and joining him in what he's doing. God, I'm just gonna come be where you are. And so Peter's like, hey, if that's you out there, I'm coming. Jesus says, come on. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Every now and then, we need to stop where there's a period, right? We know what comes next, right? He starts looking around at the wind and the waves, but Peter walked on the water. Jesus isn't the only one in the scripture who walked on water. Peter did too. He got out of the boat. The wind hadn't calmed down. The waves hadn't stopped. It's these rough seas that they can barely survive in a boat, and they're seasoned veterans, These are fishermen. They live on the water. And they're like, this is brutal. And Peter goes out and he walks on the water. How did he overcome that fear two seconds before they were terrified in the boat? He sees Jesus and surrendered to him. All right, you're saying, come, I'm with you. And so his perspective was right. His eyes were on the one he was surrendered to. And he starts walking out on the water. I love that he walked on the water. I'm also thankful that he's just a real dude and he also sunk. I'm grateful for that too. If it just said to me he walked on the water and him and Jesus strolled the rest of the way, I'd be like, I'm in trouble. Could never do that. But he didn't. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus rolled his eyes and said, really, Peter? No. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, Peter both walks on the water and sinks in fear. That's the journey of faith right there. There's times where, man, our sight's correct, we're in awe of him, we're surrendered to him our perspective is on track because we're just looking at him, and man, we just find success in our journey of faith. And there's other times where just the reality of life and what's happening around us catches our eyesight, and we stumble in fear. And the beauty of, of Jesus is that he's right there. He corrects the lack of faith, but it's not judgment. He's not angry at him, he's like, he's right there to pick him up by the hand and go, come on, let's keep going, bud. And lifts him up out of the storm, out of his feeling of, I'm drowning. Ever felt like you were drowning in fear? Jesus isn't there going like, man, you didn't have enough faith, what's up? He's like, no, I got you. I love you. Come on. I'm with you. Now trust me. Trust me. He rescues him. I love that. And then the story finishes and they just, they worship him in the boat. That's faith. There's times where we're worshiping him because we're rejoicing, at just having firm footing and progressing in our walk. And there's times where we're worshiping him from the place of, God, I need you to rescue me right now. The most sincere form of worship is surrender. The most sincere form of worship is not showing up on Sunday and singing a few songs. That's a cool way we can express our hearts. We can reflect on his goodness. We can declare our love back to him. It's an important and powerful form of worship. It's not the ultimate form of worship. For example, why is giving considered a form of worship? Because it hurts. That's surrender. That's sacrificial. It hurts. Why is serving him, why is helping other people a form of worship? Because, man, I'm giving up time. My time's valuable, and I'm giving it up to do something. I'm worshiping him. I, I try to remind myself and others, there's guys that show up faithfully week after week setting this place up. And it's like, guys, we're worshiping together this morning. As we're sweating and moving stuff, like, we're glorifying God. We're, we're saying, God, we surrender to you. We serve you. Surrender is the most sincere form of worship. Man, you surrender to a king, and you discover that king is really good, and he loves you, that'll, that'll conquer some fear. That'll conquer some fear. So, fear the king, surrender to the king, and then finally, it's just, it's just as simple as this, receive the kingdom. Sometimes we're missing out on these good gifts that he's giving us, wants to hand us, because we're over here with our hands trying to grasp something we can't get our hands on. I'm trying to get at something that I don't have. I'm trying not to lose something that I do have. So I'm clinging and holding, I'm Terrified of what might happen with my kids. I'm terrified of what might happen with my money. I'm terrified of what might happen with my job. We get caught up in what we might lose, so we're grasping to hold it. Or we're caught up in trying to get our hands on things we can't quite get our hands on. And he's saying, listen, I want to hand you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure. And if we'd let our hands not be so busy, we could just receive from him what comes from having a really good king there's benefits to having a king. Fearing the king sounds difficult. Surrendering to the king, that sounds really hard. It is. But the beauty of having a king, we were just talking about this this week, the beauty of having a king is he protects me. He provides for me. If I have a good king, it's cool, the stuff that comes my way. And so we can receive the kingdom from him. So I just want to give you a taste of this. I'm just going to read some of this and just briefly in passing, I'll mention a few things. But receiving the kingdom. I was, I was reading through this scripture where it's just over and over again, the fear not, and then what he offers in return. And so just in the book of Isaiah alone, I was seeing all of these cool promises. And, you know, it's, it's, a, neat, it's a neat book to reflect on because the prophet Isaiah is talking in the middle of hard times and hard times that are coming, but it's also one of the primary places in the Old Testament that where we reflect on the coming king, Jesus, and he's letting us know, he's reminding us of the one who's coming. The cool thing for us now is that's past tense. That king is here. That king has come. And he's doing the things, he's done the things that the prophet was saying would eventually come. It's available to us. So just let some of this get on you this morning. Let some of it get in you. Isaiah 41:10 Fear not for I am with you. He's not a distant king, he's a present king. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's not your righteousness that has to pull it off, it's mine. I'm righteous enough for you. I'm strong enough for you, and I'm with you, and so I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you. I love the withness of God. He doesn't tell me to do stuff for him. He tells me to live with him. He's present. Same chapter, a couple verses down, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I'm the one who helps you. Man, how much less scary would the stuff I'm facing be if I realized I'm not sitting here trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do it myself. I'm holding on to my dad's hand. That's a pretty comforting place. He's got it. He's got it. Isaiah 43, verse one. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, Who formed you, O Israel? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I made you. I formed you. I love you. And not only did I make you the way that you are, I'm redeeming your life. The difficulties, the struggles, the the sin nature that just rips you off. I'm redeeming you. I've done it. I've worked that out. Listen, Some of our biggest fears are just wrapped up in our past stuff. And we get stuck in guilt. We get stuck in shame. And God's going, I've dealt with that. That's not you and that's not what I see. You are a new creation in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's settled. It's dealt with. He loves you. And so he's saying, I formed you, I've redeemed you, I've called you by my name, you are mine. Love that. What if all we heard this morning was just him whispering our name? I love you. A couple more and we're going to close. Isaiah 44 now, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. I love this. How does he address fear? He reminds us of how big he is. I'm the first, I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God. There's other things that might seem big, might seem intimidating, might seem like they're in charge. They don't hold a candle to me. There is no other God but me. Who is like me, he says. Whoever it is, let him proclaim it. (laughs) He's almost being sarcastic here, right? There is nobody else like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. What's he saying? I know the future. I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. Nobody else does. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. I'm the preeminent one, the first and the last. I know your future, and you're in my hands. I'm your rock, the firm foundation. And then finally, to close, I love this. Isaiah 51, 6 through 8. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. Take it all in. Take it all in. The heavens, they'll vanish like smoke. The earth, it'll wear out like a garment those things that feel so real and so powerful and like such a big deal right now, they'll turn to dust. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. Okay, maybe you're not fearful of stuff. Maybe you're afraid of some people, some situations with people that you need to deal with. Hey, guess what? Man's dust too. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me. You who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man. We don't have to live in fear of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. He doesn't say people aren't after you or aren't making life difficult And you. He's saying you don't have to be in fear of what they're trying to do to you. You don't have to fear man. Look at me. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. We have a king, and that king can help conquer fear. He's with us when we're stumbling through and figuring it out. But if we learn to fear him, if we learn to surrender to him, and we learn to open up our hands to receive the kingdom he wants to hand us, that takes faith. Takes faith to look to him. It takes faith to let someone else be in charge of your life. It takes faith to trust that what he has for me, what he wants to place in my hands is good. And I can choose to do that and watch how faith will win over fear. That's what he'll do. Let's fear the king, let's surrender to the king, and let's receive the kingdom from the king. We open this series by saying that we're all on a journey towards home. It takes faith to see our way clearly. Fear will come along the way, but let's not have, let it have the final word. Let's choose faith over fear. Amen? let's pray. God we choose to remember you today, we acknowledge you, we look to you. God, we thank you that you want to be our king, that you love us, you pick us, you choose us. God thank you that when we stop and let you capture our eyesight, when we have that perspective shift where we see you, God we, we experience your love, we receive your goodness. God, it gives us wisdom and insight to begin to see more clearly. And so God, help us to, to have a healthy fear of you, to live in awe of you. Help us to be a people who surrender to you. God, by faith, letting you be king. And Lord, when we stumble, when we trip, when we fall, I thank you that you pick us up. You dust us off, you love us, and we keep going. God, ultimately, I pray that we be the kind of people that don't feel like we have to grab and hold and protect things we're afraid of losing. We don't have to fight and claw to grasp the things that we're afraid we'll never get our hands on. But God, we could lift our eyes to you and we can open our hands to receive your kingdom. Thank you that in your kingdom, we receive protection, provision, goodness, and life from you. God, we love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.